Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Today on the podcast, Penny Peebler, a member of the Kentucky Humanities Board of Directors. Penny is a native of Frankfurt and has spent much of her working life in Louisville. She was appointed to serve on our board by Governor Andy Bashir, and at the time had just left her position as executive director of the Fraser Museum on Louisville's Main Street. She is now working on a project in eastern Kentucky and other work, uh, like the work she's doing in Frankfurt. Next, our conversation with Penny Peebler. Penny Peebler, board member of Kentucky Humanities. (laughs) Thank you so much uh, for having me, Bill. And thank you for inviting us into your Frankfurt office. Let's just start there. Tell us about your current position. Yes, so I am a strategic initiatives consultant for the city of Frankfurt. Frankfurt, of course, is my home and where my love affair with the humanities began. But, you know, Frankfurt is, uh, of course, it's the capital of Kentucky, but everything runs through Frankfurt. The river, uh, state government, uh, the railroads, you know, all of our major interstates, it's it's such a, a crossroads, it's a mixing town, and uh, it's a real pleasure to be serving here with, with the new city commission and uh, to try to bring um, some, of, some of what has been done in, in Louisville and uh, other places where I've been uh, in here to Kentucky, to Frankfort, Kentucky. How did you learn the work that you're doing here in Frankfort? Strategic initiatives um, is uh, everybody that is involved in either government or nonprofits or for-profits mm-hmm. need direction, need leadership. Is that what strategic? Uh, well, I think really, um, you know, you can't um, do everything all the time. You can do everything if you make a plan and stick to it and work on it every single day. And, and what happens in a lot of places is um, if people are not on the same page, it can be difficult to get anything accomplished because community development, economic development, strategic planning, it's, it's all a, a kind of a marathon activity. You know, it's the long view. And so I have been fortunate to be involved with a number of long-term projects in my career. Um, you know, I started out as the personnel director at Kentucky Kingdom after I came out of the management training program at Walt Disney World. And I've always in, been involved in community development and tourism, you know, for my whole career and somewhat of a, of a change agent. Um, you know, there are people who are, are um, not afraid to, to get in there and, and make changes and look at what needs to be done. and think through how it affects others and, and how we need to uh, work together to accomplish long-term goals. So strategic initiatives are really about taking all of the good plans that we have, master plans and riverfront plans, and um, looking at what's doable on a certain timeline, what's fundable, how can we structure growth in such a way that we make 
incremental and steady progress over time. So that's that's what I'm here to work on, and it's it's not unlike um, many of the projects that I've worked on throughout my career. Did you take some of those skills to the Fraser Museum where oh, you sure. were director? Yeah. But for those of um, uh, the folks that are listening to us that don't know the Fraser, have never either visited or maybe have heard of it, uh, tell us uh, what, yeah. what the Fraser well, Museum is. The Fraser Museum is the official starting point of the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, but it's also the largest exhibiting history museum in the state of Kentucky. Um, it's at 9th and Main in, in downtown Louisville, and it's really the place where the world meets Kentucky because the exhibits there are focused on what makes Kentucky unique and special. And I was really fortunate to be hired at a time when the museum's board was interested in um, making an arrangement with the Kentucky Distillers Association to make the Fraser the official starting point of the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. So I was fortunate to lead the institution through a major capital campaign and renovation, write a new business plan and help create um, a new exhibit about the, the really the spirit of Kentucky bourbon, which is about the graciousness of the competitors, the hospitality and tourism that all of us have, you know, as Kentuckians, about the, the grains and, and the science, you know, that goes into what makes Kentucky that, that magical place where the limestone and shale filter the water. You know, there are only three places in the world where uh, both limestone and shale filter the water and of course it's 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 Kentucky it's Ireland and it's Scotland so it makes sense that three places that make great whiskey so I was very fortunate to lead the institution uh, through its its growth and its its um, through its transformation really and to form this very important partnership with the Kentucky Distillers Association so I've, I've um, I'm pleased to be a board member of the Fraser Museum and and to still be involved, you know, today. Besides uh, the uh, the bourbon uh, emphasis, uh, the Fraser really began um, with uh, a display of arms, yes. uh, with with weapons, uh, exactly. that sort of thing. Tell us about the sort of the genesis of, so, of that. So, Mr. Fraser, Alzi Brown Fraser, um, who was the vice chairman of Brown Foreman, and of course he was a grandson of of Amelia Brown Frazier, who was one of George Garden Brown's daughters. Uh, Mr. Frazier was just a great lover of history. And he was a lover of historic arms. He didn't believe in any guns that were made after 1911. He never was interested in automatic weapons. But he was interested in the art of, of the gun as a great American craft. Um, and so he had a vision for downtown Louisville uh, which included the Fraser being a sort of a visitor center of sorts for Louisville that would have stellar exhibits on the history of America. And Mr. Fraser's particular collection uh, was specific to historic arms and um, the historic arms of America. So Teddy Roosevelt's big stick and Geronimo's bow, arrow, and quiver. I mean, these are all things that are in the Fraser's collection today. and. He bought a series of old bourbon warehouses, about seven buildings um, in downtown Louisville, and it was just a huge, a huge expanse of space. And so in order to, to make the business model work, uh, the Fraser also started doing temporary exhibitions and brought in a kind of a semi-permanent exhibition 
from the Royal Armory in Leeds, England. And so this was uh, designed to be a, a tourist mecca where people could learn about the history of the United States and about the history of, of Europe and, and Western conflict, you know, through these great artifacts, um, which included more things than uh, weapons, but certainly known for weapons. And then over time, as um, things change, anything in a, in a tourism business, you know, things run their course and they have to change. And so if you're going to be a, a great institution that stands the test of time, you've got to uh, think about uh, that hundred year plan. And so uh, Mr. Frazier, before his death, had led the institution through a time of embracing its Kentucky roots and began to have many wonderful exhibitions about things like Fountain Ferry Park in West Louisville, um, My Brother, My Enemy, which was a, a really successful exhibit about the, the conflict uh, in the Civil War and how it affected families in a personal way. So the Frazier's been transitioning for a while and now it's a place where the world meets Kentucky and in addition to bourbon, uh, you can see an original edition of Sue Grafton's uh, mystery novels from, from A to Y. You can see Tori Murden's boat, The Pearl, that she used to, to sail. President of Spalding University, our, our underwriter for the podcast, which oh, we'll, we'll get to in a few fantastic. minutes. Fantastic. Well, yeah. uh, Tori was really wonderful to, to join with us and let us put The Pearl on display. You know, many, many uh, people want to know about the woman who, who rode solo across the Atlantic Ocean. And so there are these amazing Kentuckians. Yeah. You know, Kentucky has this incredible... Um, gift of, of giving to uh, many products, services, and unique individuals to the world. And so we highlight those at the Fraser Museum and, and you can learn about um, all of the interesting stories of Kentucky, you know, that you may not know. Penny, tell us the story that, that you've told me uh, about the African-American rifle maker. And uh, again, oh, sure. it's one of those Kentucky stories that we should all be proud of and we should all know of. Absolutely. So I was I was telling a story about Meshek Moxley, who was an African-American gunmaker um, around the time of the Civil War. He was a free man and he was making uh, weapons in the Pennsylvania or Kentucky style, the long rifle um, in Ohio. And so a, as a free black man, um, he had a extremely successful business and gentlemen came from all over the United States to have Meshek Moxley uh, make them a rifle and so at the Fraser Museum we have one of his rifles proudly displayed and we learned uh, our curator learned through some additional research that Meshek Moxley was the inspiration for one of the characters in Uncle Tom's Cabin and so um, you know, there's just a lot of um, neat stories that that are in our Kentucky heritage that that draw back to to the humanities, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's part of what makes uh, what makes Kentucky so special. You know, we're natural storytellers here. I'll bet you you can recall uh, one, if not more than one, of your proudest moments or acquisitions or the work that you did while you were at the Fraser uh, over the five-year uh, span that you were there that, that you can tell us about? Well, there, there were a couple of things, but specifically, um, we were really fortunate to 
launch a bourbon uh, at the Fraser Museum exclusively for a man named Buddy Thompson. And Buddy Thompson's family was the owner of the Glenmore Distillery. Um, and they unfortunately had to sell the distillery in the 1980s. You know, bourbon uh, was not then what it is now. White, white uh, liquor was on the rise. But, but Buddy, uh, he was an engineer, he was a pilot, he was a Navy man. He was a true Renaissance man. And when he sold the company to Guinness, he retained five barrels of the original whiskey. His grandfather uh, founded the company with George Garvin Brown. Uh, it was called uh, Brown Thompson. And he was an Irish immigrant. And after that, he founded James Thompson and Brother. And Glenmore Distillery owned more than 80 brands. Uh, in its heyday. And so Buddy was in his 80s and he had these 15 barrels of whiskey that he had saved uh, from when the company was sold and and we met each other and got to know each other and he wanted to release them and, and uh, to honor his brother, uh, his father and, and his grandfather. And so we worked together to launch that whiskey together with another great distiller, Steve Thompson. Uh, God rest his soul. He was a master distiller at Brown Foreman and and started uh, Kentucky Artisan Distillery, uh, which made Jefferson Reserve and, and many others, the Whiskey Rose series. And so together we launched that bourbon. And it was an incredible thing to be a part of. It was the oldest bourbon ever bottled. Uh, it was 45 years in the barrel. So it was a bit woody, but you could add a little <laughs> sherry to it and it opened it up and, and tasted delicious. And so um, we had 225 bottles and the word got out that the Fraser was going to release this bourbon, and 90% of the money went to um, Congressional Medal of Honor and Veterans Charities, and 10% uh, went to the Fraser Museum. And so the night before we launched, um, we had a line wrapped around the building, and people were camping out to get these 225 bottles. We ordered pizza, we got porta potties in there, um, and we just had an amazing time. But the look on Buddy Thompson's face, you know, after 45 minutes, we sold all 225 bottles. And it, it really was selling history, you know, not whiskey. We, we'd built an exhibit about the Thompson family and their influence. And, and just seeing uh, the look in his eye and the pride, and, and, and Buddy died a couple of years after that. And so just being able to be a part of that great Kentucky industrial story uh, and bringing that to the public was really a proud moment for me. Do you think Kentucky has taken full advantage, and I use the word exploit in a, in a kind way, an explanatory way, uh, ha has the state exploited the bourbon industry uh, to the point that it's at its uh, peak right now, or can there be more done to bring in more visitors to really uh, enhance the bourbon experience that is already alive and, and doing quite well? Well, I'll tell you that the emphatic answer is no, we're not at the top of the bourbon curve because, you know, bourbon is 17% of the scotch market. So if you just let that settle on you for a minute, you know, we've, we've got a long way to go with international visitors and as travel opens back up, you know, we've got something really special in Kentucky with our storytelling, with our arts, with our culture, with our natural beauty. You know, people are so interested in 
place-based tourism and rural tourism where the thing to do is to go to the small town and experience it and see what's there. Eight million people a year go to England and Scotland just to tour the countryside. We have all of that beauty here in Kentucky. Plus we have this, this amazing Native America's Native spirit. So bourbon is not at the top of its popularity. It's got a long way to go. And I believe that if we, we all work together in the bourbon producing towns, um, we can really create a tourism experience that is very, very special for our own, for our own citizens, for uh, American tourists, and for international visitors. Penny, you also uh, have done some work in eastern Kentucky and gotten very familiar with uh, that part of Kentucky. Growing up in Frankfurt, spending a lot of time in, in Louisville uh, in, your, in your career, uh, tell me about your eastern Kentucky experience. Well, I, I often say that I sort of um, had Appalachian culture, you know, just bred into me from a very young age. You know, I, I grew up in the 1960s and uh, Jean Ritchie and her husband John Pickow often visited a family here in Frankfurt, the Greenleafs, and, and they would have um, potluck dinners at their house and, and my parents would be invited and we would go and I learned those songs, Jean Ritchie's songs that had been, that she was passing down from generations and her book Singing Family of the Cumberlands, you know, just from a very young age, it's just one of my earliest memories and I, I love to sing and I love music and I love books and so the stories of uh, Appalachian culture just, just really resonated with me and my mother's people came from Virginia and we've been in Kentucky for a long time but that, that culture is really a part of who I am and um, we used to have the, the folk life festivals you know here in Frankfurt as the seat of state government so there was always a lot of of people in and out and so I, I was read the stories of you know James Stills stories of Jack and the Beanstalk and um, the poems of James Still um, Harriet Arnaud's The Dollmaker and so I just grew up immersed in that culture my parents were really part of uh, the culture. They were musical, they were readers, and they just bred that into me. Mm. And so I think when I got to the University of Kentucky and I started taking classes from Gurney Norman and Jim Wayne Miller and Ed McClanahan, you know, I just felt like I had come home in a certain extent. And, and so Gurney just became a, just a guide to, to me and um, I was really fortunate to get to be a part of honoring Gurney uh, with the University of Kentucky Alumni Club. We had, a, we had a wonderful event honoring him at the Filson Historical Society a number of years ago and it was, um, you know, it, I was so proud to introduce him because he had such an influence on me and, uh, and he's the one who really taught me um, to love the written word in a in a in a more adult way, you know, if, if you know what I mean, and and I think about the transference of um, Gurney's voice, you know, into my good friend Robert Gipe's voice, and and Silas House and and others that are coming up in uh, writing Kentucky fiction today. You know, it's a it's a bright future, and uh, it just does really feel like a part of who I am. You also, in traveling back and forth between 
the urban areas, the city, and the rural uh, eastern Kentucky because you've done some work down in uh, mm -hmm. Harlan and, mm -hmm. and, and that area. What kind of um, what kind of conflict do we still suffer from uh, rural and urban divide today? And uh, what are your thoughts about how we can uh, be more united instead of trying to uh, uh, divide us between uh, not only socioeconomic basis, but just on uh, the pure uh, question of somebody lives in, in the country or in the rural areas mm -hmm. or in eastern Kentucky versus somebody that's... Uh, I, I just was listening to a, another podcast uh, on my way to see you today. Uh, Eastern Kentucky lost a lot of population in the latest census, uh, a, a great percentage. Some rural counties did better, but the majority are losing population. How can we how can do something about that? It's, it's interesting that, that you mention that because when you look globally at um, census data, it, it does appear that, that rural um, populations in general are on the rise from cities, you know, that people with remote work um, people are recognizing that they can live and work from anywhere. And I think that's our greatest strength in Kentucky and in rural areas, particularly in Eastern Kentucky. Uh, if, if we can get our, our uh, gigabyte broadband service really um, to, to blanket the area, uh, we have so much natural beauty and so much room to spread out and such incredible local restaurants and, and friendly people I think after COVID, you know, I feel like there will be much more flexibility in where work takes place. That I think that is the real opportunity, you know, in Eastern Kentucky, because the the aesthetics of, of a mountain sunrise and, and having a hike, and um, it's just a great quality of life. But as far as, um, that's why I think tourism is so important. In Eastern Kentucky and I do believe that Appalachia in general is an undiscovered frontier of tourism it's been growing in, in West Virginia and other places and certainly um, Mason and other economic development organizations in Kentucky and the foundation for Appalachian Kentucky are working hard on that tourism is a natural economy for Appalachia but it's not going to be a mono economy you mm -hmm. know we can't we've, we've seen what a mono economy looks like and we can't go there again so it will have to be a mix of small businesses telework tourism um, there is manufacturing that's going in you know there was a French uh, there was a French company that that makes popsicle sticks uh, they've opened a factory in Corbin um, so I think it's going to be a change in the way people work it's going to be small industry local businesses uh, tourism and other industry that that really helps us to to bridge that gap between the rural and the urban and I think the the rural way of life you know in some ways it's just um, it's 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 more enjoyable and I do think COVID has caused us to think about what we value um, so we'll see what happens. I'm optimistic. You know, there's a number of projects happening in Eastern Kentucky. As you mentioned, I've been fortunate to be involved in some coal mine transition projects and some um, stream mitigation land bank activities, uh, various other small businesses there. And uh, there's a new brewery, as you probably know, going in in downtown Harlan. 
renovation of a big uh, J.C. Penney store there into a space for community and some apartments. And so I'm, I'm very excited about, about the future in Eastern Kentucky. We'll have more with Penny Peebler, uh, a Kentucky Humanities uh, board member, right after we take a pause for this word from our underwriter, uh, Spalding University's uh, creative writing program, uh, their professional writing school. Uh, there are so many things uh, that Spalding uh, offers uh, uh, all Kentuckians in all of the world, and we'll hear from them and be right back with Penny Peebler. Spalding University's Low Residency MFA in Creative Writing offers outstanding instruction in a supportive literary community. Study across genres. Explore the interrelatedness of the arts. Travel to Paris next summer for short-term study abroad or stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies on campus. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, and writing for TV, screen, and stage. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Penny, as a board member of Kentucky Humanities, where do you think in the, the big picture of things uh, the humanities belong and can contribute to making Kentucky a better place? Well, Bill, I, I believe that um, the arts and, and culture and humanities all contribute to the livability of a place. And we certainly see this when European companies come and, and look at doing business in Kentucky. You know, they want to see what there is to, to read about, what to experience and to explore. And I also think that the humanities give us the opportunity to explore complex and difficult issues in ways that um, might make the conversations just a little bit easier. You know, I think about some of the themes in Robert's Ga Robert Gipe's uh, trilogy of, of trampoline and, and weed eater and pop about the opioid epidemic in Eastern Kentucky and in America in general. And I, I think about processing um, that difficult history and, and reality, you know, through, through writing, through journaling, through community devised theater projects such as Higher Ground in Harlan, which Robert Guype also led and, and where he learned, you know, many of the stories and, and dreamed them into existence. I've, I think the humanities have the power to, to bring us together in conversations in that way. And I also think they have the power to um, give us great comfort in times, of, um, in times of stress. You know, I think about that in my own life with um, Jean Ritchie and uh, the, the comfort that I get from listening to her records and, and seeing uh, the notes, liner notes and things that she wrote in Singing Family of the Cumberlands. Uh, I, I do believe it's, we can learn from the humanities, we can, we can feel through the humanities, um, and we can also process uh, information, you know, through the humanities. It's vital. You, I think we heard an example of that uh, just a few minutes ago before we started our uh, recording when a representative of the Rural Electric uh, Cooperative uh, Group uh, in Kentucky 
said uh, almost at the beginning of the conversation, when he talks to uh, a European country, when he talks to the people in Germany, they want to know about economic development opportunities, but they also want to know about arts and humanities yes. in the state of Kentucky. So I think that really underlines what you just said. We're really, really rich with the arts and humanities in Kentucky, and, and, and arts and humanities can, can help us address really serious systemic problems. Uh, we've seen this through the, the Shakespeare Behind Bars programs. We've seen it, we've seen it through um, you know, the big read and, and people reading a book together like Brian um, Stevenson's Just Mercy, you know, and then having conversations about it. Uh, all of these things are, are important and contribute to us being more reflective of our communities, telling all sides of a story, uh, and, and opening our minds, you know, as, as individuals and human beings. The world is very different now uh, after COVID, and um, we have the opportunity to create a more inclusive and more compassionate society. and And I believe the humanities are a real key to to aiding that conversation and 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 really making that the new reality. Final question: If you, um, with your strategic initiative magic wand, could uh, wave it over Franklin County. Uh, and the city of Frankfurt um, in uh, the next uh, two decades, let's say, what would you like to, to uh, for that magic wand to uh, paint you a picture of what uh, you and so many other capable and able people around here uh, can work together to accomplish? Well, you know, in Frankfurt, we're so much more than the capital city. We're grateful to be the capital, but, but we're so much more than that. And, and I really do uh, see Frankfurt as a space where um, people are thriving, people are creative, there's an arts and, and literature community, there's advanced manufacturing, of course, which we already have here, but we see more of that. We see, of course, bourbon tourism, and, and uh, we're the home of Buffalo Trace here in Frankfurt, and we're so proud to be. And we've, we've worked hard on our historic downtown uh, but we want to be a forward-thinking place that, that honors our history, but, but really moves forward. So I hope we will improve, and we plan to improve access to the river, to the Kentucky River, um, a more walkable community, a community with, with uh, more bike paths and uh, proper complete streets, as they say. Uh, I think, you know, our partnership with Kentucky State University here in the city of Frankfurt is extremely important. To have uh, an HBCU in the capital city uh, is a really, really unique asset. And so I think there is an opportunity here to strengthen our partnerships and, and work together uh, with the state of Kentucky. But Frankfurt is also, it's a city in and of itself. You know, it's a capital city, but it, but it is a city outside of that. And so people here are very passionate uh, and they're very proud of their hometown and, and their adopted town. So I hope we continue growth and momentum and that we attract uh, even more people to the community. Penny Peebler, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.